Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, post-recording Kara, realizing that I did not explain the opening clip for this week. So what you're about to hear is from an Instagram story of none other than Ramona Singer. All right, let's start the show. My girlfriend likes to cook. So this was on the cutting board when I came home and I thought it was pistachios. So I ate some. Guess what? It's dog food. I eat dog food. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. Woo, this is... I hope you guys are ready. We're embarking on an unprecedented moment right now. So I don't know if you need to like get some tea, if you need to sit down, maybe do a couple yoga poses, stretch it out. I don't know. I just all want us to be in a space of like drama. Okay. I want you to be ready to receive it. I want you to be ready to snark with me and... I just want this to be a moment where it's like me and you were gabbing and really talking about what's happening. One of the things that I was most excited about to talk about on this podcast was like internet stuff. And I feel like I've a little bit failed myself on that, but we're back baby and I'm ready to talk about it. So the unprecedented moment And I'm not sure if you could call it unprecedented because I've really only started this segment like a month ago, but we're already into unprecedented territory. We're going to have a double girl, a double girl this week. Um, 
Wow. We got to start with number one, Leandra Medine Cohen. Um, For those of you who don't know, she is the founder, um, the former head of Man Repeller. So if you don't know what that is, here you go. Just a baseline Man Repeller for Dummies. Um, It was a blog that was created in 2010 by Leandra. She was still in college at the time. And basically the premise was she had a fashion blog dedicated to her fashions and the idea that we should, as women, stop dressing for the male gaze. A concept that is actually really cool. The idea of like, just do what you want. Don't feel like we have to impress men. I like it on its, you know, on paper, it is a great concept. So Man Repeller was probably one of the top fashion, women's fashion blogs over the course of the past 10 years. So everything was going as fine as you would expect a, you know, a rich white girl from New York who found herself in fashion would go, which is to say very well, (laughs) um, until last year. So Man Repeller had been, you know, like... A lot of the women's fashion blogs, highly sanitized, highly sanitized might not be the word, white, just extremely white, not really representative of all women. Um, Leandra is also very thin. She, I would describe her style as um, a little bit uh, like, like, you know how nowadays... Bella Hadid just wears whatever the fuck she wants and it's clearly she's doing it and like the girls go up for her because she's skinny right so like Bella you guys my firm opinion I stand by it I said what I said Bella Hadid's fashion her streetwear fashion trash trash okay it's not good. It's like, you know how we all say, like, is he hot or is he tall? It's like, is Bella's fashion good or is she just skinny? And I believe she's just skinny. Anyway, it's kind of, you know, it's moneyed. It's streetwear. It's somehow uptown and downtown New York, which is like mixing the petty, not the petty, the um, preppy with the um, a little bit more like fashion forward streetwear kind of vibe. But layered and funky it's like if punky brewster went to you know a prep school in new york like that would be the kind of vibe that she would go for so like i said smooth sailing until last summer um in which man repeller had you know we all had these conversations about companies and their responsibility when it comes to allyship be it among the races, among, you know, a sexual preference, whatever. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, we all know, black squares going up on Instagram posts. There were a lot of, we stand with you, we hear you, we support you. And then the immediate backlash, which was what happened with Man Repeller, of we don't see ourselves represented in your brand, so why now, you know? Why are, how do you say that you're standing with us and that you see us if this is really the only time in which you've spoken out? 
On top of that, there were also um, calls coming from within the house, within the people who had been employed by the company, either were currently employed or have been employed, of, hey, we don't really feel seen in the workplace, so, um, ma'am, what's, what is this, honey? Okay. Um, with that came a very quick downfall, probably the quickest downfall of a pretty successful, solidly seemingly solid company that I had seen in quite some time, basically within the span of a month, we got you your typical, you know, iOS press release. We start, we're sorry. We understand what's happening. And then there was another thing of a black woman who happened to be the only senior member of Manor, Manor um, saying that she had been fired. Now she was the, I believe her name was maybe Chelsea. She was the, um, uh, events coordinator for Man Repeller. Um, and she had, I think they fired three people within like the first few weeks of the pandemic, right? She was one of them. Only black member of, senior member of the staff. So she had come out and said that she felt some type of way. And let's like flash forward to now. So Leandra did an uh, podcast. It is called The Cutting Room Floor, and the host is named um, Rachel Amandi, R E C H O. Um, so she had come on this podcast, and girl, it is a disaster of epic proportions. Like, Caroline Calloway could never have this bad, like, she has been creaming herself to have this bad press that Leandra's having right now. Oh, I'm sure she's so jealous right now. Anyway. You guys have to listen to this podcast. It is wild. And here's why it's wild. I mean, are we used to women, especially white women who are privileged and who are in their own privilege bubble and who don't seem to get it? No, we were very well seasoned on that. But this is like really on another level. So the episode of this podcast starts with... <clears throat> Rachel setting us up with all the tea, all the background. So this podcast, she released, it's two parts. She released one part for on her free feed and the second part is going out on her Patreon. Um, and I will link the podcast episode in the episode description of this episode, but here's some highlights and then you guys can go listen to the rest of the like hour and a half of this. Wow. Wow. You guys. So Rachel starts off by saying this is the third recording that she's done with, with Leandra. The first one (laughs) happened and apparently Leandra was so rude that she didn't want to release it. She scrapped it. The second time happened after George Floyd's uh, murder. Apparently this happened like within a couple weeks. Leandra reached out to Rachel it should be go without saying that Rachel's black um, to have another conversation, but then they did it. They recorded it. Leandra got so upset. She called Rachel crying and they ended up like pausing, you know, and scrapping that episode as well. So this is now the third time. And you can tell in the very beginning that where everybody is like, Right from the jump, it's almost like uh, uncut gems where you're just like, 
you're almost like it takes you a second to realize oh we're in the world now we're in this universe we just got dropped into this universe right so you get the dynamics of these two women immediately you get rachel's weariness (laughs) the weariness of a woman who has had to do this two times before wasn't really fucking with her the first time through the kindness of her own heart did it a second time that shit got strapped and now she's doing it a third time you can tell that she's like i don't really know why i'm doing this but i here i am you can tell she's just so sick of leandra (laughs) but the other thing that is completely prevalent is that leandra is oblivious she is talking to rachel as if like they are girlfriends like they've got some sort of rapport with each other like this is the first time that they've done this interview (laughs) it's just like and she doesn't even pick up like you can tell like rachel is like hey girl so um i just heard you move to the upper east side like how's that like so done with her already the ironic part is that Rach, uh, that Leander starts right in about how she just moved back to the Upper East Side. She was raised there. She moved downtown and now she's back and how, you know, I just feel like I've been in my own kind of bubble and I'm just now understanding the outside world and where I'm at. And I, you know, it's like people see me, but I don't really see them. So I'm just kind of like coming out of this cloud of really just aggressive head in the sand ignorance and the fact that she is not even picking up on what is happening within her own interview and how it mirrors the rest of her life and what she's been doing. And she's telling the story as this, as if it's like, just like a funny little anecdote of like, Oh, you know, I just been like, so in my own world that like, I don't even know what's going on out there. And from there, it is just a downward spiral. From there, they go into Leandra's decision to leave Manor Peller. So let's go back to last summer, in which I said, you know, the allyship, uh, alleged allyship statement came out. People um, came out of the woodwork and saying, hey, um, there are some cracks in this foundation. So like I said, it very quickly tumbled out of control. The iOS press releases, and then it went from like, successful company to defunct and Leandra left and shut the whole shit down within a couple of months. So Leandra does what I think she thinks is like a very strategic PR um, thing is this like radical transparency also wrapped in a surprise of like oh you thought one thing but it was actually this got you guys so what Leandra says is that a lot of people think or most people assume that the reason why she stepped down and why the company went under is because of those allegations of like racial um, inequality within the company but what really she says happens is that that not only with the firing of the black woman, but also her handling of the company was not like, I don't have a racist problem. It's just that I'm bad at management. (laughs) I'm just bad at my job. You guys, I'm not racist. I'm totally chill. It's just the company turned into something that I didn't want. I wasn't prepared for. I couldn't do. And that's the real reason why I left. And I know it looks like other reasons because just very quickly I had several meltdowns and just dropped the company, but no, no, it's just because I was bad. You guys don't worry. 
So Rachel does the very fair thing of talking to and reaching out to the woman who had been fired to see what do you think happened? Where, where, from where you stand, what is going on here? So she said, wouldn't you guys be surprised to see that she had a very different, um, outlook on the whole situation so interesting so what homegirl says is that she was like i said one of the only the only senior member full-time senior staff member at the company that she um introduced a concept that i had not heard of which is pet to threat which is a concept is when a minority comes into situation they are tokenized as like hey we're cool don't you see we have a black girl or we have an asian guy here or you know there's our gay see hi gay you know (laughs) like here we are um we're cool but then she felt as if she was bringing a lot to the table and that with um the more people came aware of her position in the company through you know posts on social media like hey this is this is her um here she is like we love your style we're cool she started gaining her own social media following and she feels like at that point leandra and the higher ups were like you know pet to threat token black girl to um oh she's not going to outpace us so she says at that point she had been um you know people they would have meetings she wouldn't be included in they would do all these things and not include her she said that at one point she confronted leandra and the higher ups about hey like why am i not part of these meetings if every other senior staff member is and they're telling her like oh well you need to tell us like you need to advocate for yourself on why you should be in these meetings, why you should have a seat at the table. And she's like, why should I have to do that? Like, first of all, you hired me. I'm bringing a lot to the table, bringing a lot to this company. She says she was the event coordinator that when she was brought onto the company, they didn't really have an, space for themselves in the event space that they would do events but they never like that basically she built out the events part of man repeller and that she not only that she was um floating amongst all different areas of the company much like most of the other senior members so it wasn't as just like, like Leander was saying, the reason why we let her go was just brass tacks. It was the pandemic. We um, let her go because she's the events coordinator. We knew we weren't going to be having any events, um, even though they fired her like three weeks and three weeks into it. And the chick brings up a great point of like, none of us knew what the future was going to look like. Like, sure, if you maybe knew in the next, like, we were still living, like, she's saying at the time she got fired, she was fired. We, as a society, were still in that, like, oh, maybe the world will go back in two weeks or maybe a month. Like, it was still, we were still very hopeful at that point. And um, basically that she just felt fucked over, that she felt like she got the chop because she had to. And she felt like there were people who uh, were not contributing as much and were not uh, as 
important to the uh not as an important cog in the machine as she was and just like very very messy leandra even the shocking thing is that we know that she set up immediately so we know listening to this interview that this is the third time that she's done it she's had a year to think about all of this a year to unpack her responsibility and on top of that two other tries at this interview (laughs) with this black woman about what she should say and yet this is like the best she could do and then the leandra somehow shifts into a conversation about privilege specifically hers and she basically paints herself as a dan humphrey um of the upper east side so she says that it she didn't realize until she was 31 last summer that she was rich that she grew up rich she was not poor. She said that she thought the whole time growing up that she was poor, that they were on the brink of homelessness and that she had lived in like a destitute family because she came from the family. Her, both her parents were immigrants. Um, she is of what Turkish and Persian descent and that their mindsets, her parents' mindsets were that of like, what did you contribute today? And she tries to make it seem like, like she tries to make it seem very poverty minded, but it didn't really seem that way to me. Of It just seemed like her parents were hard workers and yeah, they were immigrants. And I think she felt very othered by her parents' immigrant status and unaware of the fact that like she thought of herself as a brown woman but if you see leandra she very clearly presents white um and she obviously benefits from that and has privileges from being a white passing woman um the ignorance of that i can handle that i can understand if you are the first generation of two immigrants especially even if you are white passing i can understand feeling different i can understand feeling other and i get that i i can't really fault her for feeling that way it she clearly is not still aware of her racial privilege even though she acknowledges it to a certain extent the issue is like the fact that she thought she was poor and the highlight for me of this episode was obviously like this um uh host has an editor the podcast has an editor and this guy you know was also the family of uh you know a child of immigrants the first generation living in new jersey and had a very different experience from leandra and he was like i could not handle listening to this woman try to like paint herself as this poor child when really she had all the um privileges of basically any other upper east side kid um growing up so leandra you know went to private school she admits that her parents she was never on financial aid they were never in debt for her um, education that that was never an issue she went to a private jewish girls school she went to uh, you know she just had all of these privileges but like i said where the dan humphrey of it all comes in is like she is 
she was like the poor one of the rich kids or she would like us to believe that she tells this very harrowing story you guys of how oh my god how she um only had $20 left from her allowance one day and all her girlfriends and classmates were going to go to Serafina. Serafina for you guys, I don't, what would I even describe it as? Serafina is, I mean, Serafina is the kind of place that the kids from Gossip Girl would have gone to. It's mostly adult. It's expensive. It's that kind of like quiet expensive. It's like, not like a um, like STK that is sort of like loud and bombastic and you know that you're going to spend money there. Like, you know, you're going to spend 200 bucks there. It is like an old money where you know that like, she says in her story that there's no entree. Like I couldn't even get a salad at this place with the $20 that I had left. And so she was, you know, telling the story about how she couldn't go to lunch one day with her friends because she only had $20 left and um her her classmates would go and um they would have like five vacations during the school year and they would go on vacation every time every time school was let out and she she couldn't do that and her parents couldn't do that and how they would um in her mind she has constructed the idea that her parents were hiding the fact it was like she wanted it both ways. That she thought she was poor. And she was like, I also think that, like, maybe my mom thought that she was poor when she was living in Israel. And then when she was living in Paris. And then when she was, like, when she was jet-setting around the world. I think my mom thought she was also poor. And I think she, I inherited that mindset from her. And she said she's created a scenario in which her parents, like she wouldn't be the one who could go on all five vacations when school let out and that her parents, she felt would try to skirt around the issue by not saying that it would be like, Oh, we're not going to go this time, but we'll maybe go next time. And she felt like that was because they couldn't afford to. And she had some sort of, um, come to Jesus moment with her parents about, Hey, I think you guys, um, she said, okay. So her family would make up excuses according to her about why they couldn't take vacation all five times in this, in this school year. And she felt like flash to when she was 16 and she couldn't go to Serafina because she only had $20. And she told her girlfriends like, Oh, I have something else to do to avoid the fact that she couldn't afford to go. That she was like, upset with her parent like I realized that I had this inherited trauma of being dishonest with people and not owning up to the fact that we were rich but not not um you had to prove that you had a hundred million dollars in liquid assets to get live in this building rich like my friends god can you imagine prayers up for Leandra girl I hope you get through that She also fails to mention this entire time that, like, not only do her parents have a um, really nice apartment, which she does clarify, she does make sure to clarify that it is in Yorkville, which is a little bit higher. So if you're, like, a Housewives fan, um, you know, let's say Luann and Sonia and Ramona live in the East, like, 60s-ish, 50s, 60s. 
So that's really where like the she-she Upper East Side is, like the 60s, 70s, close to Central Park. And then you get from like the 80s and 90s and that's Yorkville. Yorkville, still very nice, still Upper East Side, but it's like the more affordable Upper East Side. So, you know, she had to live in Yorkville on 83rd Street. Can you imagine? And she, 83rd Street, by the way, is like barely Yorkville, like barely. <laughs> she lived in the, the richest part of the poor part of the rich part of her neighborhood, if that makes sense. Um, and what else does she say that like fucked me up, sis? Oh, I forgot to mention. This is what she failed to mention is that not only did her parents have that nice apartment, that they also had a house in Southampton. So <laughs> where she spent her summers. So girl, girl. Y'all have a whole other house in the chicest part of the most expensive neighborhood, vacation town, beach town in the country, probably the world. God, but yet couldn't, couldn't have a salad at Serafina. Ugh. Ugh. The fact that they end the podcast by saying that Leandra listened to this episode before it was released... <laughs> That this episode actually had been on the shelf for months before she decided to release it. Leandra knew full well. She listened to it and was like, yes, girl, put that out. I approve. <laughs> Wild to me. So check out that. I, like I said, I'll put the episode in the description of this episode. I It's a wild ride. It is a wild ride. Let's move on to number two. Well, I thought I might be done with a unprecedented and already unprecedented double girl segment but a dumbass comes along with the absolute audacity to part his lips about shit that he really shouldn't and who should do that but none other than one Tristan Thompson this little bitch so you guys know that the everyone's business but mine Instagram is um, currently blocked by one at Chloe Kardashian for reasons that I don't feel like I deserve because I probably haven't said anything worse than anyone else about her relationship issues. Frankly, Chloe, I thought we were better than that. I thought you could handle a little tough love, but apparently you couldn't. Anyway, um, I was peeped on my personal account to uh, some Instagram comments that I just thought were really, um, as the children say, out of pocket. Um, so Chloe posted a thirst trap. She's in an outdoor shower in a, you know, a nice little uh, bathing suit, what have you. So um, Lamar decided to pop on over to the Instagram and he commented hottie under the picture and then he put like a bunch of emojis underneath that and it was you know the two fire emojis two heart eye emojis one heart and then two emojis or two in a row emojis of the, like the smiley happy face with the hearts around it right um so then excuse me very much Tristan who I should say, did not respond, did not reply directly to Lamar. He got his jokes off like a pussy, um, not even adding him. If you wanted to say it, say with your whole bird chest, why don't you, Tristan? But he didn't. And so he wrote, God wrote, excuse me, God brought you back the first time. Play if you want. Different results. 
excuse the fuck out of me. This is like, ew. First of all, neither y'all can keep your dicks in your pants when it comes to Chloe. It is as though there's some sort of like, oh, I'm allowed to cheat on this woman um, gene or um, some sort of attribute that both of you have within you. So I don't really know what you're talking about. Um, Secondly, we don't play around people's addiction issues. That was such a low blow. And it's so gross to be like, oh, you almost died. Remember? From a drug overdose? Uh, Don't make the same mistakes again over Chloe? Yuck. Yuck, 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 yuck. I hated that. If Tristan wasn't like the worst to from every other terrible thing that he's done to her now it's like ew like that's so gross if I were Chloe that would be such a turnoff like how do you talk about somebody like that Chloe was there for Lamar in his time of need nursing him back to health making sure he had everything under the sun and dedicated periods of her life that frankly I mean he didn't really deserve because again cheating um but she did it she did it And basically, you're like spitting in her face and like acting like his addiction issues or something that he is like something to laugh about when we all know that Lamar's whole life has been incredibly tragic, has had so much loss, and he just lost his father not too long ago. Fuck off. Fuck you, Tristan. Like, I can get these jokes off and talk about like, yeah, yeah, you're a cheater. You're, uh, you know, uh... Uh, third trimester Tristan those you know but like this is a bridge too far for me okay we're not going you're not going to talk about my lamb lamb about that okay okay because if I'm gonna if I'm gonna root for one um broken basketball player who cannot um you know the cheating seems to be in his DNA it's not going to be you Tristan okay and um you know one of you I'm told is much better at basketball than the other. I think, I think there was a six man award. I don't know what that means, but apparently it's very prestigious. I don't think you got it. Maybe you did. And if you did, I'm going to have to take it back. But uh, from what I hear, um, Lamar really has a lot more of a legacy within the NBA than you did, than you do with your bitch ass. So fuck off. Okay. All right. Um, what else am I talking about? Because I'm really going to heat it if I continue. Oh, um, After this is a recap of Love After Lockup. So enjoy that, you guys. Moving on. A couple months before I went to prison this last time, when I met him, our first meeting was, uh, it was kind of wild. I'd never encountered anybody like him. Let's just say he's he's, he's wild when it comes to his sexual um, desires. I got all the tools. I bet you did. Put your ass in a straight jacket. Oh, baby. (laughs) Yep. I'm sure you still have that stored away, right? All right, y'all. Clankety clank. It's time for another episode of Love After Lockup. This season is good, you guys. If you guys were on the fence or, you know, if you're just looking for something, I feel like a lot of us are in maybe a little bit of a reality TV slump, a drought, whatever you want to call it. If you ever watched Love After Lockup or you watched it before and you kind of gave up, I would say hop back in. But until then, you can listen to me talk about it for sure. Um, So let's start with Brittany and Ray. There really wasn't a whole lot to talk about with them. Last we saw them, Ray got out of the van, 
got very quickly back into the van and we found out that his I guess they weren't supposed to pick him up where they thought they were the but there was a bus that was supposed to take him to his halfway house and some issue happened with that so we also did get Ray's backstory and it was really sad you guys he was talking about how so the mom that we he has a mother but the mom that we were led to believe is is his biological mother is in fact not so what happened was apparently his parents uh, separated when he was young I think he said two. And when he was 11, his biological mother was murdered. She was shot five times in the chest. They don't know who did it. They don't know the motivation behind it. And obviously that really fucked with him. And he says, honestly, I think if I, if my mom didn't die, or at least if I had some closure around why this happened, my life would have gone in a very different way. But I was very angry and I was taking that out on life. And basically that he started stealing pills. He would go into pharmacies. He would steal steal pills and then sell them on the street. And that's how he wound up in jail. So really, really a sad story. Um, Then they end up having to like follow the van that he's in because the bus that was supposed to pick him up to go to the halfway house didn't end up arriving. So they're following behind the van and they end up taking him to the, well, they don't end up taking him. They end up following the van, just taking him to the halfway house and they just have to drop him off. And Ray's like, I kind of feel like I'm just going back into jail right now. But yeah, that was the end. Brittany, Got to say her hello. She got to kiss him and hug him and all that, but not much to talk about. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Um, next, let's get into ooh, Anissa and Jeff. Anissa and Jeff is our, our new couple. Yikes. <laughs> Somebody get Neve and home. Who's the girl? Cammy. Somebody get Neve and Cammy on the line. I think we have another catfish on our hands. Anissa is 51. She's from Tennessee. She reminds me a lot of Angela, of Angela and Tony, and a woman who's older. Seems to prefer a younger man, seems to have her life together in some sort of way, but it is blowing it up for some younger dude who she perceives to be attractive, but is really only attractive to her. Um, So our first introduction really is her in the car. She's with her cousin. They're on their way to look at wedding. Wow, where did my mouth go? Wedding dresses. (laughs) Lisa says 
She's been a cougar her whole life, and she's been married before. Her first marriage, she was uh, 29 to her uh, husband's 19. Okay. And her ex-husband, she claims, is a sweet guy, a nice dude. He seemed to be a little bit more stable than our Jeffrey. He got her a $9,000 engagement ring, and... She just said that they didn't really have that spark at the end of the day. So she ended up breaking up with him on Valentine's Day in 2010. She hopped on the internet and got into a prison pen pal website and decided to message Jeffrey. And the rest is history from there. She says that... He has everything that she possibly wants. She's really attracted to him. They have so much in common. He's got a bunch of tattoos and he's her dream guy. So her cousin's like, well, that's all well and good. Um, I hope that Jeffrey actually shows up. Pardon? What do you mean, cousin? So as Anissa is standing in the wedding dress shop with the dress on, you know, they try to integrate the employees of these establishments as much as they can. They do this on Love After Lockup. They do this on 90 Day Fiance where they have to, you know, that whoever's working there and helping them is like, oh, so who is this for? How did you meet your boyfriend or girlfriend? What is the story behind this? Like questions that people would never normally ask, but of course production is forcing them to. So they have to tell a story of like, oh, um, my lover is actually in Ukraine or prison or Sing Sing, you know? But I really appreciated this employee because she, usually the employees keep it cute and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's cool. And then they say how they really feel in the confessionals. But this chick was just like, oh, no, she was here for the mess. She wanted to know everything. And is like, what do you mean? What do you mean you hope that he actually shows up this time? So turns out that Jeffrey is a bit of a runaway groom and they have tried to Anissa and Jeffrey have tried to get married twice before in the 11 years that they've been together. Um, Apparently, over this the course of their relationship, Jeff has been released not once, but twice. And he promised Anissa that he would go to her house and visit her and they would start their life together. And yet, both times, nothing. He didn't show up. Uh, he's not to be seen again. And apparently, he just ends up back in jail. So Haley, the, the employee, is listening to this and she's like, wow, like, you're just blowing my mind right now. That's so crazy. I mean, like, you're not crazy, but, like, the situation is crazy. So the cousin has zero faith that Jeffrey is going to show up, and she doesn't even think he's a real person. But Anissa says she spent all this time and money and that he has to come home this time. Okay. So allegedly, homeboy is supposed to get out of jail the next day, and her, she's now at home making some cornbread for her friend Kyle and he's mm, Kyle's not feeling it either everybody in in um in her life in Anissa's life is like girl don't do this so Anissa's making her little jiffy bread and talking about how excited she is but she says she lets it slip that she hasn't spoken to Jeff in a few days and Kyle is immediately like he's about to get out of jail he's going to get out of jail tomorrow and you've not spoken to him in days. And for some reason, she doesn't 
say this to him. She says it in a confessional that Jeffrey's actually in solitary confinement. So apparently he only gets one call a week. But Kyle is asking the right questions. Um, hey, Anissa, I hang out with you all the time. Why is it that I've never been around when he's called? Has anybody been around when Jeff is called? And she's like, oh, you know, I think maybe one person has once. But a lot of vagaries. Is vagaries the right word? A lot of vague shit, sketchy shit is happening here. So then Anissa's like, okay, Kyle, I've got a little surprise for you. She goes back into her room and comes out with a full uh, full length, uh, you know, dress. It's There's a dress in there. I don't know what you call the things that you put them in, but, uh, you know, a full length, like dry cleaning, zipper, full length, whatever the fuck. In is that uh, wedding dress that we saw her try on. And Kyle's like, are you crazy? You have a wedding dress. This dude is still in prison. Have you lost your mind? And so Anissa's like, well, I just have to give him another chance. And Kyle's like, girl, I've known you a long time. This is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard of you done. And Anissa's like, well, I don't feel stupid doing it. (laughs) Well, famous last words, girl. I I cannot wait to see how this goes. Um, Let's move on to Rachel and Doug. Rachel, the girl who was told to dress conservatively, but with no panties on when she went to pick up her betrothed at jail, Rachel, who has moved her boyfriend's fiance's husband's child in, even though she's only been with this dude for five months, uh, Rachel, who is sabotaging actively every part of her life for a man who, for Doug, for Doug. Um, so after Doug's release, as we were told, um, He has to, he has a curfew for his parole. So he can be out between the hours of eight and five, but he has to be in after that. He can't be in or he can't go anywhere on the weekends. So the plan, I guess, is for them to go to some sort of no-tell motel, do a little pump and dump session. I'm sorry, that's very vulgar, but I mean, given who this couple is, like there's really no other more eloquent term for what they were doing. So they do a pump and dump and then they have to race home to, you know, adhere to his curfew. So Doug really only has pussy on the mind. He is trying to engage in some sort of floor foreplay as she's driving. He is telling us about how he has not had sex since the day he went, the day before he went to jail, which was August of 2015. He is also informing us that he, you know, he's, he made some plans and he planned for this moment by pleasuring himself a few hours before he left jail, just so he could work on his stamina. And my God, if that's not a man who's focused and determined, I don't know if you could put that on a job application of, you know, um, foresight, you know, we're, we're, Describe to us a moment in which you had planned for the future. Describe to us a a circumstance in which you saw ahead and knew that you had to solve a problem. What did you do? This would be it. This would be a great example. 
Rachel seems a little bit concerned because she is 4'10 to Doug's 6'5", and she's just really concerned about the logistics. She doesn't know how it's all going to work. As a woman, but of 5 foot tall, and given my history, I don't want to go into too many gory details, but I can tell you, Rachel, um, it's not going to be a problem. You'll be fine. Go out there, girl, and have some fun. Everything's going to be great. It, it it does not matter. You'll be great. You'll be better for it, Anything, if anything. So they get to the hotel. Doug is like, no, seriously, guys. Like, I'm really trying to fuck. You guys have to get out of here. Like, <laughs> And then we're treated in a typical love after lockup fashion of, like, you know, kissy noises and, like, the occasional um, just, like, a dulcet tone of a moan from behind, you know, a hotel room that offers a continental breakfast. Like, what could be what could be more romantic? You know, I want to take that back and not be shady towards a continental breakfast. Like, I really will go in on it if I have the opportunity to. So, like, my apologies to the continental breakfast uh, of America. I, I didn't mean to put you down like that. Not, I apologize. I sincerely do. Anyway, um, so, after they're done... Doug starts talking about how great it was to finally give his wife the things that they had always been talking about. Not like a stable home or love or, you know, a cuddle or just, you know, like romantic physical touch. He meant things like doggy style, you know? Fair, fair. Um, Rachel says it was everything she wanted and more. And even though he's six foot five, the shoe fits. See, I told you, girl. I told you. Um, I will say... That after Doug was able to get the poison out, he did seem to be a lot more reasonable. Like, most of our interactions with Doug have been him being verbally abusive, bossy, mean, cranky, and excessively horny. All of those things at the same time. But now, he seems to be a lot more reasonable. And he's like, even last episode where he's not out of jail and he's bitching and moaning about his curfew now we're seeing a different Doug a more reasonable Doug Doug who has been able to nut two times both manually and not manually organically and he's a better man he's a better man for it he is talking about how hey like five o'clock is a little rough but you know what I could have it much worse a lot of people don't get a curfew at all so I'm motivated to get there on time I don't want to mess this up and I'm also just grateful I'm grateful that I have a curfew at all on the way to the house Doug starts um, doing some like prop photography by taking selfies on his new phone with a lollipop in his mouth and in a confessional he starts talking about how usually he's not a one woman kind of guy usually he's got a few irons in the in the fire if you will but He's found everything that he needs in Rachel, and he's not going to let that go. And so they get to the house, and Rachel's house is suburban. Very suburban. Seems like her neighborhood has an HOA. Everybody's lawn looks very nice and well-maintained. You're Just like your typical Midwestern, very nice neighborhood. Doug is amazed. He They're rolling up, and he's like, you guys have sidewalks here? Oh, this shit is nice. Like, 
I wasn't expecting this. My neighborhood doesn't have a sidewalk. Like y'all got full on where the lawn ends and then there's a sidewalk and then there's that little patch of grass where you can put the, the mailboxes. Like, oh, this is nice. It doesn't smell like roaches in here effing. <laughs> you know? And he's just like totally amazed at the house. He's like, this is truly not anything like I grew up. And he's like, I've only ever been in a nice a house as nice as this if, when I was stealing something. So Rachel's like, okay, this is just like a normal house. And she also says this is not the first time that she's had a guy parole at her home. Remember her first husband who um, I guess dabbled in meth, if dabbling is the right uh, term for that, and um, ended up in jail again. So she's used to this. This is like, she's not new to this. She's true to this. And then we end their scenes with Rachel going downstairs. She's looking through the uh, refrigerator. I don't know if she's looking for another place for his nine pound bag of bologna or what, but production is upstairs with Doug in the bedroom and he says oh, basically I've never lived this good in my life my son has never lived this good in his life we're never going to live better than this and so I'm gonna do everything that I can to stay here because uh, I know what my other options are and I know what my kids other options are and we're not going back to that so did it really sound like he was in love with her or did it sound like I got a lick here and I'm going to take care of it? Stay tuned. It's looking like the, the latter to me. Okay. Moving to the most, most, the most cursed couple of Deontay and Nicole. Are they more cursed than Stan and Lisa? I might have to take that back. They're equally cursed, but in very, very different and very specific ways. Um, so when we left Deontay and Nicole, Deontay left Nicole at her house, didn't even get to go inside because she wanted to make sure that the first meeting between Deontay and her mother was a special one and blah, 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 playing him. Right. So Nicole's mom, they're at home. She's dyeing her, her daughter's hair in the kitchen and they're talking about all the changes that her mom has made since going and since Nicole went into jail, meaning when Nicole went into jail, her mom was in a relationship with a dude. He was, she was married to a guy and now she's married to her woman, best friend and Nicole's cool with it. But like, first of all, like, duh, of course you're going to be cool with it because why would you care? But also, um, you really are not in any position to be talking about anyone's relationship. Um, considering you're tricking a man who has a pocket pussy that's named after you. Anyway, um, Nicole turns out to the shock of absolutely nobody has feelings for the dude that she was texting last episode, Zach. And she tells us more about Zach and how they were in a relationship when she went to prison. But, they broke up. The only reason why they broke up was because she was going to jail. So she feels like she and Zach have a lot of unfinished business. In a confessional, Nicole's mom, love her. I think she seems to be, she has her head on her shoulder. She seems to be very realistic about Nicole and the relationship and just the whole situation. And she says, I think that... 
Deontay is only around because of the fact that Nicole likes things and she doesn't really care about who gives those things to her. And that's always been her problem. And low key, she was like, that's kind of why she went to jail. So (laughs) we'll see. Um, Deontay does come over. I'm not sure if he, if she knew he was coming or if he decided to just pop on by because it was about the most awkward thing. So Nicole, I guess, I don't know if she lives in a trailer or something, but it doesn't matter. The door, as Nicole's mom is doing her hair, the door, the front door is open and the side door is open. And there's a screen, not a screen door, but you know, those things that you can attach to the top where it's got those magnets in the middle. So it creates a screen. Um, and you can just like go through it, just like let the mat break the magnets up and go through it. Does that make sense? Um, so he pulls up, walks up, walks to the front door, and just kind of stares and doesn't really introduce himself. And so they're at the kitchen table like, hey. And he's like, oh, this is weird. And it's like, yeah, it's weird because you're making it weird. Say hello, you weird ass. So everybody goes to the living room, but Nicole's like, I gotta rinse out my hair dye. So that gives Nicole and Nicole's mom and Deontay a minute to speak alone. So she says, her mom says, I just want to make sure you're not in this for some arm candy. Isn't that like Loki calling him ugly? I mean, she's not wrong, but I, I caught that. So Deontay says, basically, that could not be further from the truth. He's not just looking for arm candy and... In fact, we're engaged. And then he looks at Nicole's mom and says, Oh, you didn't know that, did you? Oops. <laughs> so, uh, then this weirdo's like, Listen, I'm a sucker for the woman I love, and I love Nicole. And Nicole's mom's like, Well, how many women are you a sucker for? And then Deontay says, Well, I've... Just want you to know that I'm so committed to your daughter that I've um, invested in this relationship in more ways than one. I have made a purchase that really helps me with um, the temptations of having another woman in my life. And then Deontay um, proceeds to tell his fiance, question mark, girlfriend, Big question mark on that one. He's telling Nicole's mom that he bought a pocket pussy, named it after her daughter. Why why would you do that, Deontay? Nicole's mom's reaction is, uh, yeah, that's really weird. Don't know why you would tell me that. And Deontay's like, yeah, I probably, probably shouldn't have. But he doesn't really pick up on it quite so soon because in a confessional he's like I think she really likes how honest I am with her I I bet she doesn't Deontay I I think she probably hates it much like we all do so Nicole's mom gets up and goes to the bathroom where Nicole is and is like hey um didn't realize you were engaged and Nicole rolls her eyes and is like I'm not (laughs) so she's annoyed she goes out in a confessional rather she says Listen, when I was in jail, I asked Deontay to smuggle me in a ring. And I wanted it because I wanted to be the only girl in jail who had a ring on. I just wanted to be a bad bitch out here with a ring. That didn't mean I was getting engaged to him, but obviously that's what he thinks. 
So Nicole comes out from the bathroom and is like, why the fuck did you tell my mom that we're engaged? And Dante's like, well, aren't we? And Nicole says, I, I, I don't even know you that well. We haven't really hung out on the outside. And I'm also not going to be getting engaged until I get the ring that I really want. So thank you. It's not like, oh, we need to invest in our relationship in a real way. It's, oh, and also, um, this isn't what I wanted. So, like, you're going to have to prove it to me with, like, a much better ring than this one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com And then she... Hustles back into the bathroom to put self-tanner all over her body and her um, ass cheeks and that part of her arm that's not quite the armpit. But, you know, you still got to get that area if you want to wear a tank top so you're not missing a spot and you're pale in one area. And she's over here. Diane, why did you come over? This is like Roger coming over to the sister-sister house. Like, go home, bro. Nobody wants you here. So... Um, Deontay walks outside and is like, gosh, it's just kind of weird. This woman is like totally different from who I met on the inside. But you know what? I'm not ready to give up on this relationship. So that was really all we saw of their normal scenes. Love After Lockup does this thing that Bravo used to do years ago, which is have these interstitials, these little short clips, which don't really have a lot to do with the show, the episode, but they just want to show it to you because it's like a bit of production that you just have to keep your eyes on so if anybody would like to go in on me on a class action lawsuit against the production of love after lockup for asking Deontay to explain about um how he uses his pocket pussy to you know take it out of the dishwasher because we saw you throw it in on episode one Go ahead and pop that one out. Just explain to us how you do it. If you want to rub your the flat side of your palm against these silicone fake nipples, you can do that. Um, how do you use it? And he's like, oh, you know, I use lotion. You can put lotion. You can do lube. You can put whatever you want in there and just have a, have a whammy of a time. And oh, I will just never recover from that. And I don't think it's fair for me to not be compensated in kind. Um... Then Deontay sends a message to all his men who were, you know, looking for a quality, memorable experience in the bedroom of, hey, we can join together. We are looking for a quality, okay? And if a woman can have a vibrator, fellas, 
we can have a sex toy too and I guarantee you that's going to prevent you from cheating on your girl. Thank you, Deontay. Thank you so much. Finally, let's end on Stan and Lisa. Lisa's, our girl's out of jail and she's been trying to um, um, curb some expectations in terms of her look. She kept saying, I look like a boy, I look like a boy. My hair's really short. My hair's super short. And she definitely was not kidding about how short her hair was. She pretty much looks like a suburban mom who had some sort of midlife crisis slash emotional breakdown and decided to get into hip hop dance. Because, <laughs> excuse me, it's not just the hair. It's the outfit for me. It's the white on black Adidas tracksuit. <laughs> she came out with she was she was definitely giving us a vibe and that vibe was not like woman horny for older man who wears fake suede blazers that's not the vibe i was getting they can't claim to both really like each other and stan is really struggling to say that he continues to be attracted to lisa despite her hair and lisa seems to look at stan as a ticket out so she says she's had 15 convictions and every time she got out of jail she had ill intentions whether it be to get high or whatever but she looks at stan as her spiritual soulmate and she thinks that he's just adorable can you believe you you better stick to her stan because nobody else is gonna feel that way (laughs) um so as soon as they get in the car stan pulls out the wigs from the back of the car that he bought her and lisa's not having it like he pulls out the blonde one she doesn't like it he pulls out the brunette one also a no and he's like you won't even wear this in the bedroom yuck yuck so even though she doesn't like the wigs that were picked out for her it seems like she has no problem with wigs because we see her in her first confessional with the wig that she has picked out and it is The type of wig that has a built-in headband, like those really thick black headbands. So it's a type of wig that you can pop on and think that, hey, nobody's going to know that that's me. And the fact that I didn't brush my hair, or I probably haven't brushed my hair in a few days. And it's also like that like wet, curly, kinky, curly, tight curl, uh, almost like a period when the Duggars were out of the fluffy bang phase but not quite into the um long dead horse hair that they're into now there was that moment where they really got heavy into the wet hair hairspray crunch it up curl that's what we're working with with lisa personally i found the wig to be very distracting and unfortunately For me, it wasn't distracting enough to have me not pay attention to what she was saying, which is that when she met Stan before going to jail, because as we know, they met or they hung out a couple times before she went back in. And one of the times, um, basically, it was just brought to her attention that Stan is a certified freak seven days a week. In his own confessional, Stan, who... (laughs) whoever did this did it completely correct they have lit stan for evil like his lighting is set on evil you know how barbara streisand has that like vaseline over the camera and very misty 
dewy kind of look. All the lights are pointed to like make him look like basically Maleficent. And so when he's in there in the confessional room talking about oh lord about how like he looks like he's about to cut into your local programming and say that there's like been a new world order issued and that he's now the leader of America but he really starts talking about how when they get home he's hoping for some private intimate time if you know what I mean and it's like sir we all know what you mean we've all been doing our very best to forget about what you mean so please don't remind us please Ugh, do not expand on that so unfortunately expand was probably a, a poor word because he directs lisa's eye her gaze to um his pants and apparently he's got a boner down there Imagine being in a relationship with a 65-year-old man who feels the need to show you the boner that he's got in his pants like he's some sort of 19-year-old creepazoid and you guys are about to, like, like half-heartedly have sex behind the Sonic. That was a very specific example that seems like it may have happened to me. It hasn't, just to be clear. That has not ever happened to me. But the memory, or not the memory, the, the image really evoked a certain you know, a certain vibe. So Lisa talks again more about the connection that she and Stan have had and how they've really had more of a spiritual connection over the phone while she's been in jail. But um, then she says, she tells us another story, you guys, another one. Stan is truly like, she mentioned straight jacket earlier in the episode. And I ignore that because I had to, for my own mental well being. But then she tells us again, oh no, he's like really into the straitjacket thing. Because another one of the times that they met, he she came over to his house, Stan led her to some room. It looked like a garage, but it's hard to say. She had a picture on her phone. So they go in the room. In that room is an item of clothing hanging from the ceiling. That item of clothing was a black S&M style straight jacket that I believe Stan actually was the um, the wearer of said garment. And that was a, a shocking fact for me. I gotta say that. Then Lisa pulls out one of the wigs from the back seat, the ones that she rejected, and she puts it on and then asks Stan, would you ever wear one of these wigs or would you wear a dress? Would you dress up like a woman? And at that point, we find out that Lisa's pretty gay. You know, (laughs) she says that basically if it were not for Stan, she would never be with another man again. And is this because she prefers women or is this because she's had a bad history? I'm not sure because she tells us that her romantic history is pretty fucking dark actually um her first husband was abusive and uh really had some shit going on she said that when she finally got the courage to leave him he completed suicide by swallowing a whole bottle of pills and a year after that she ended up marrying another guy but she's this is the one that she's not really sure if she's divorced to or not and then there's another guy that she was like it's so bad i don't even want to talk about what's going on with him so as if 
she's just telling us about all the assholes in her life. And turns out the Stan is definitely another one in a line of dickheadish behavior because she gets a call. Lisa gets a call from one of her kids, a 22 year old son that clearly has some issues with Lisa. He is, he feels some type of way about her being in and out of jail for his lifetime. And he feels abandoned. And so he calls her and we don't hear him, but clearly he's like, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you around. I'm going through it emotionally. And so they have a little conversation and she gets off the phone. And at first Stan's like, Oh, what's going on? And he seems like, she's like, Oh, you know, my son, he really needs me. He's like, yeah, I totally get that. But also like, man, I really wish that you didn't have anybody in your family around because that would make life so much easier for us and you, but mostly me. Um, I could not believe that he would say this. The things that he said about how, like, basically, he's trying to take her out of her situation. Now, okay, she comes from a family of inmates, convicts, whatever you want to call them. Sure, if you feel like her family, her, like, nuclear family is toxic and you think that it's better that they not have a relationship, okay, fine. But we're talking about the children here, her child, and she's like, what do you mean it would be so much easier? This is my kid. And he's like, yeah, no, like, I totally get that. But also, if you had no kids and no relatives, that would be great. Can you imagine saying that to somebody <laughs> who just got off the phone with her child who was upset about all the damage that he's infl- that she has inflicted in his life? Un- <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh my gosh. With that, I will be with you guys later this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for speaking. Love you. Bye.